0: Hello, and welcome to the Signpost End Podcast, a space at life's crossroads to connect with God and find direction. Pour yourself a drink, grab a seat, and join us on the back porch for a friendly conversation about Christian prayer, spirituality, and faithful theology. My name's Matt. And I'm Brandon, and we're really glad you're here. The Signpost
1: End Podcast is brought to you by the Signpost End Ministry, where we offer spiritual direction, retreats and sabbatical residencies, and lots of resources and training. You can find out more about what we do and support us By visiting signpostn.org. And as you can probably tell from the Christmas music playing, this is our special 2021 Christmas podcast. This episode is being released on Christmas Eve, and we're going to talk with Leave and Matt and myself about the incarnation and what it means that God became one of us and was vulnerable. From our families to yours, Merry Christmas. Enjoy the show. Well, welcome, everyone, to our Christmas special. I have with me Matt Boland and Leave Booth. Uh, Merry Christmas, guys. Merry, Merry Christmas. Merry
2: Christmas, Brandon.
1: It is good to be here with you on the back porch of Signpost Inn, and welcome to everybody who's joining us. I uh, hope you're having a lovely Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, Christmas season, as you're listening to this uh, podcast, which is being released on Christmas Eve 2021. We wanted to get together and talk about Christmas and the incarnation. And Matt, before we started recording, you were telling us a, a cool story that made a connection. Uh, you had experienced some stuff that connected to Christmas. Can you tell everybody that story again?
0: Yeah, yeah, happy to. So, um, Christmas, my perspective on Christmas had a had a bit of a shift a while back. Not um, maybe shift's the wrong word, but I had this experience whenever I was on a mission trip in college in a country where the king uh, had just, they were celebrating the birth of the king's firstborn son. And there were parties happening. There were decorations up everywhere. Um, Every single business had some form of decoration presented. There were pictures of the king smiling um, on huge banners all over the city. And it was like, the whole city was celebrating this. It wasn't just him and his family. Everybody was celebrating the birth of the king's son. And that was, so, that was interesting, but it didn't dawn on me until years later, back in the States, I was driving through my neighborhood and everybody had their Christmas decorations up around Christmas time. And it occurred to me, I was like, wow, this is a lot like that. There's parties happening everywhere. There's decorations up and everybody is celebrating this momentous occasion and it just kind of, I don't know, it, it put it in a, put Christmas time in a new perspective and it put the celebration aspect in a new perspective. And it really was kind of mind blowing. And, um, you know, it, it makes me think of, of the biblical story where, um, you know, the angels appear to the shepherds and the shepherds get a glimpse. They, they catch a bit of a glimpse of the party that's going on in heaven and it's almost as if all the celebration in heaven just wasn't big enough we've got to include more people in the celebration and so it's revealed the shepherds and it, and it's like i i just found that really profound um that we get we get sucked into the celebration um of this momentous occasion and we get to remember it every year
2: i think that comes uh in a really good way right on the tail Brandon of what you and I were talking about um the other day with um God loving the celebration even more than humans do. Um the wedding of Cana being this this really big party that isn't um yeah it shows us something about about the the celebration that happens, you know, within the Trinity himself and then in heaven and and that we're welcomed into that. I love I love that idea and I love the idea that there's you know, there ought to be fanfare, parades, all these sorts of things. And at the same time, God surprises us because we have all of the angels singing and all of this being, you know, proclaimed to the ends of the earth. But at the same time, the song that we end up hearing the most is, you know, maybe Mary's lullaby. The fanfare that welcomes in this king is also something very quiet. And I think that's why we love Christmas Eve so much and we haven't let it go. You know, we We celebrate Easter, the big celebration day, but there isn't kind of that quiet side of Easter in the same way that there's that quiet side of Christmas that is part of celebrating the the huge event of the incarnation. There's a quietness to it. And we love the candlelit services and we love the, you know, the tender manger scenes. There's something in that that is also the way that God is celebrating the incarnation, the birth of the prince in the flesh, the fanfare, the decorations. I love seeing all of that as like the the ticker tape parade for the king and his new son. And yet there's a side of that that's also just on that level of lullaby, that very personal and intimate scene in the manger that these shepherds end up being bumblingly you know, welcomed into as well. The, Im- the important
1: aspect or maybe the, the important difference between the story of Jesus's incarnation, Jesus's even, you know, Jesus's birth versus the story you told Matt is that as we, as we talk about every Christmas and as we sing about in our songs, that his birth was very humble, very lowly, very, there was the fanfare in heaven, but in an important and for a very important reason, God's entry into the world as a human being is is a very small event because that's like that the whole point of it is that god becomes one of us in our lowly state in enters into our suffering and is here for the purpose of taking on our sin and suffering i mean he's not he's not here to come back in glory and rule and judge and you know yay now we have a uh, the powerful one who's going to overtake and win all the battles that will happen, but that's going to happen in the second root coming this first time he comes, he's entering very lowly into, into our place of pain and sin. And I think that's really like, that's something we often, I think we capture it. Like Lee was saying in the quietness of the celebrations and in the, even in the darkness of the Christmas months and things that we like to to celebrate unless you live in Australia. But Matt, you were saying, and it makes me think about, I mean, because we were chatting about this before we hit record, but you were just talking about how we often don't like to think of God as being vulnerable. My philosophical side gets that like the philosopher's God is not a vulnerable God, right? The philosopher's God is the all-powerful impassable, which means can't suffer, can't get hurt, you can't do anything to him, doesn't need anything, etc. And that's true of God in his divine, myster- mysteriously divine nature. But the beauty of the incarnation is that God becomes a human being as a little tiny baby who really needs a lot of things <laughs> um, and can't even feed himself.
2: It It may even come down to... This is part of the offense of the gospel, where we're celebrating the central event in, in relation to humanity, um, of the, the Holy Trinity connecting with humanity so intimately as to become one of us. It's a part of it that we sometimes don't let ourselves dwell on, the, the vulnerability of God, the smallness of an infant, the quietness of... Of God's action, it's almost like we don't want to insult Him by dwelling on those times when He is weak and woundable. But of course, this then is that that foreshadowing of of His other most vulnerable moments, where uh, at the crucifixion you have Him truly. I mean, we call it Passion Week, the week that leads up to Easter, and Passion is passivity, something being done to Him. And I think we feel like we're supposed to herald him and proclaim him as the conquering king, and those things are true. But the kind of king that he is, is, is one that's almost, um, you know, in that, to say it really strongly, almost in that offensive way of, yeah, this is a king who is going to show up to be passive in the story in some important ways.
0: Well, and what you're saying, leave reminds me um, of that passage out of Hebrews, and I'm pulling it up right now. Give me a sec. It's out of Hebrews chapter 4, where it's talking about Jesus as the great high priest. And I think it's in uh, verse 15 where it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Obviously, that has a lot of implications for talking about the way he sympathizes with our fallenness and our and, and all that that kind of stuff, but in this case, it really drives it home of he was in that moment so vulnerable and born in some pretty rough circumstances there, and he knows he knows what it's like, and that's so meaningful that we have a God that loved us so much that he gets down on our level and gets down into the circumstances that we're we find perhaps miserable and and awful and he's right there with us going through it too.
2: And f- and for a long time he's not he's not quick to jump out of the humility and the the suffering. It's not like he appears in our life for a moment and then takes off. He lived you know, incarnate in the same long lifetime experience that we have without a sense of it being over quickly. And so he has, he can sympathize with our weakness without an immediate solution.
1: Well, there's a lot there. The solution is that he is with us. It's, we think of solutions in our short sightedness, we think of solutions as being, will stop me from hurting right now, fix it, be done. I never want to hurt again. And God has a very different way of understanding what the solution is. And he, because we want, we want to be done and we want, not, we want the rewards, we want not to be having to work, all the things, not having to suffer. And God's answer is like, well, what you really need is my presence. What you really need is to be close to me. What you really need is to be connected to me. So here I am with you. And I'm not going to tell you why, or I'm not going to quickly resolve the suffering. Because being with you in it is actually the thing you need. That's actually the purpose. What's so one of the things that this is making me think of before we before we got here, I was poking around and looking at different thoughts and ideas about the incarnation. And, um, I came across, so Ignatius does this. He has a a spiritual disciplines, like a lengthy, long, you can go for, I can't remember how many weeks it is retreats on these. And one of the things he does is he has a meditation or contemplation, if you will, on the, on the incarnation. And he asks you to imagine, from the trinity's perspective right before the annunciation right before the angel gabriel announces to mary that god is becoming man and it's just this beautiful little imaginative story where where god is excited and he's like now is the time now we get to go all right let's jump down into 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 creation and meet our beloved and let's go because that he's so happy and excited to come and be with us and to finally accomplish the purpose that he's been doing for so long.
2: That's so interesting that your impression of it is joy. I've thought about that, that moment before the incarnation before, and I guess I only ever saw it as pretty sorrowful, you know, sending your son off to war. Here we go. Can, can you tell me some more about the idea that that feels joyful to you? Um, Yeah. It's the, I think it's, I think it's
1: certainly a mixed emotion because he knows he's going to suffer. But at the same time, this has been the purpose all since the beginning, like here, finally, now the whole goal of creation gets completed. God unifies humanity to himself and now it's happening. And now they get to go do the thing. And now he gets to go be completely intimate with his beloved. Like there's no more separation. There's no more waiting. And yes, it's going to be, there's going to be a time of suffering, but even, I mean, Matt's already quoted Hebrews. Even that was a joy. Like he, I think the point is that it makes me recognize the character of God as it really is that he really, really wants to be with us. And so sure He has to set aside his divinity to, you know, the the rights of his divinity. He keeps his nature, but he has to set aside his rights. He has to descend and condescend into humanity. But that's what he's wanted to do the whole time. He's been wanting to do this for, you know, that's the whole point.
2: I think that's wonderful. The connection between the vulnerability of the incarnation and it almost feels blasphemous to say the longing of God to be unified to us. To think of God longing, it's also hard for us to understand because he's not in time, so it's not like he missed us, um, and yet we have to understand him in sequence. Well, there's a...
1: Okay, so this dangerously brings in a philosophical speculative problem, which is, well, now we're saying God needs something. And the problem is that's such a weakness in our understanding of true love, as if, you know divine love does not need anything right god doesn't need us to be complete we know that but love love that's needy is not perfect complete full grown up love god's desire for us is not to meet a need in him he is he, he love that is full and complete just goes towards and c- consumes its beloved because it's so full of love and so full of selflessness. It's so outward focused. That's it. it it's compelled to do so by its very nature. I mean, that's a, I, in a sense, that's a concept we can't even really understand, right? Like we don't quite get it. Maybe parents kind of understand the love for their children that is not a needy love. And maybe spouses can sometimes understand that as well, but they can't quite get to that place where God is which is, of course, I don't need to do this. I want to.
0: I really think that what you're saying is is really great. And it just, I mean, for me, my mind keeps, you know, what's the ultimate expression of of love in some, well, I mean, there's a lot of ways we could say this, but isn't a fundamental aspect of, of love the fact that you want to be with that person? I just want, I just want your presence. And That, again, brings us back to this incarnation. And and even in the name Emmanuel, God with us, every Christmas, I just, I can't get over that, that God is with us. God wants to be with us. He wants us to be with him. The the name Emmanuel is almost a gospel presentation in and of itself.
1: Yeah, it is. And so I'm I'm going to have to refer to Kierkegaard for a minute just because he always comes up in my mind with this particular story exactly but also because he always comes up in my mind. But he tells a story about the incarnation. The story is that a king falls in love with a peasant girl and he knows that he can't he can't go get her as the king. Like if he were to ride up on his white stallion in all of his kingly dress with all of his servants behind him and carry her off to the castle and marry her, she would marry him, but she would do so out of fear and duty. So he doesn't want that. He doesn't want her to to always be his supplicant. He doesn't want her to always be in this position of weakness. So what he does instead is he puts on a bunch of homeless-looking clothes, and he goes and he becomes a beggar. And then he goes to her house and begs. And he woos her as a beggar and she falls in love with him, but has this very kind of like, well, I'm doing you a favor kind of mentality, right? Here's a peasant woman marrying a beggar and she has this sense of like, well, I'm doing you a favor because obviously (laughs) you're not, you don't even come up to my status. And then after they get married, he reveals who he really is. And the idea is that throughout their marriage, then they're on equal footing in this important way that she feels and understands his true deep love, but she also has had this moment of understanding that, that he, he put it aside for her and that she's, so she has an understanding of her own value in his eyes in a way she never could, which gives her a kind of freedom with him. And there's another thing that he's doing with that story. But in this context, boy, that just, there's something amazing about Jesus becoming a baby, you know, lying in Mary's lap, needing, to, needing his mother and his father's care. Um, even when he's dying, he needs friends. And he's just constantly very needy throughout the whole time of his incarnation. And I, the one thing I did want to say is what's really interesting about all of that is it reveals his glory like it reveals just how much he loves us. And we have this weird position of being like, well, I need to go help the Lord, right? I need to go help the the baby Jesus. I need to go help the dying Jesus. But of course, our helping him is like a gift to us. It's not a need. He's not like, oh, I need your help. He's like, I'm going to gift you the opportunity to help me because I love you so much.
2: So when you're saying <clears throat> that this is a, it's a wooing relationship. It's a, a relationship, um, that really does have, um, I mean, he talks about it that way, a, a real marriage aspect, uh, to it or analogously, you know, within a marriage. And this is something, you know, we talked about even before we got married. One of the most important things is compassion on your spouse. And to say that I see the vulnerable side of you and I'm not just, you know, I'm not in this relationship because I'm overawed by your abilities or, you know, I'm, I'm just, you're, you're perfect. And we're walking into it, into it that way. But instead to say, I see the vulnerability and I have compassion on you throughout this relationship. And that makes for a more intimate and honest relationship. And so when you're telling the Kierkegaard story, um, he's giving her the opportunity to develop that compassion for him because he's a more full character than just being the ruling king there's a lot more to him but there's that vulnerability that gives you that intimate connection with someone else
1: yeah absolutely and i think our i think we are talking about a great mystery here that none of us can really grasp in this this side of of perfection and completion because we are so enamored with power we are so we we are so enamored with power and flashy glory of you know showing off one's power and authority that we don't that we fail to see that god continue continually is reversing that way of thinking and like what's truly glorious about jesus what's truly glorious about god is that he'll give it all up for us and in some sense like what do you think you know which is which which man is a better man the one who's like I am so amazing and powerful. Yes, you will marry me and I will protect you and you will ca- and care for you and you shall be my bride. And I will always be amazing. <laughs> or, you know, or the man, you know, I mean, because that guy, get, that guy's like, of course you will love me. <laughs> or the guy who's like, you know what? I'm amazing, but I'd give it all up just to make sure you knew you were amazing. I'd give it all up. And I like you, and I want you to, to be glorified and empowered and feel Well, and
2: that's, that's the point, isn't it? That we can't possibly believe that he actually wants us unless he goes to these absurd lengths. You know, I mean, I think it's the central struggle of the Christian life is for goodness sake to believe that he wants you. He really, really wants you. So what he has to do almost in the incarnation is look at this absurdity. I will become an infant. I will grow up as a little kid and be potty trained and learn how to read because of how much I love you. For goodness sake, what more can I do?
0: Mm. Yeah, that's good.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's probably a good place to wrap this conversation up. Um, Merry Christmas Merry Christmas and enjoy your families or wherever you are um, knowing that God really wants you
2: and that he's there in the quiet with you because he wants to be
0: Amen Well thank you everyone for joining us on the back porch until next time may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ go with you
2: wherever the road takes you Amen
1: Thanks for listening. Don't forget to visit us at signpostin.org. While you're there, sign up for our e-newsletter and we'll send you a free ebook. Also, a big thanks to all of our supporters. Signpostin is a 501c3 nonprofit ministry, and we exist only because of our generous donors who make everything we do possible. Please consider supporting us with your recurring donation. Visit slash donate